You're listening to Hive Hoops, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. Here's your host, Joshua Balta. The Charlotte Hornets pull off the upset Saturday night to defeat the Golden State Warriors 120 to 113 in overtime. The Hornets have now won four straight contests against Golden State in the Spectrum Center. Great performances by a multitude of guys. P.J. Washington, Dennis Smith Jr., Gordon Hayward, Kelly Oubre, Jalen McDaniels, Nick Richards, even Plumley. Plumley's going to receive a little bit of love on this pod today. Just a great collective effort from the guys on the second night of a back-to-back, an absolute shellacking by the Orlando Magic just one night prior. Just a great overall team performance across the board, following up just an abysmal showing down in Disney World land. Disneyland, Disney World, what, you know. Down where Disney World is, in Orlando, that area. The Hornets ended a 10-game losing streak of overtime games, dating all the way back to February 1st, 2021, when the Hornets beat the Miami Heat. February, the first day of February in 2021, that was the last time the Hornets won an overtime game. So to get this monkey off the Hornets' back, that was big. The focus had been on last season, the Hornets went over seven. That was a big storyline throughout the season. If the Hornets pull off two or just even if they maybe pull off a third overtime win, then they're vying for that sixth seed last year. Just by pulling off just a couple of those overtime losses, they could not do it. And then even before that, the prior season, the abbreviated season, the 72-game season, the Hornets had lost – their last two overtime games of that season as well. And then, of course, they lost to the Knicks just days ago. And it was this this mentality, this mindset that are the Hornets going to be able to get past that hump? Are they going to be able to get over the overtime losses and finally pull one out? And here we go. We finally get one, and it's against the reigning champions in the Warriors. Got to start with P.J. Got to start with PJ. PJ must have listened to the pod yesterday. In pregame, I don't know. Uh, PJ's interacted with the uh, Hornets lead account a few times when we've been showing him some love over the summer. He's thrown in some retweets, put his little PJ emoji on top of it, different things of that nature. Maybe he listened to the pod. I don't know. But I was pretty heavy on him. I went in on him yesterday because, as, as I stated yesterday, I was big on P.J. Washington coming into this season. I was because he's a player with a defined skill set. He can play defense. He can guard three positions. He can't guard He can't guard point guards, okay? Just not quite quick enough or lengthy enough to do so, okay? There's only a few guys who can – there's only a few bigs, power forwards, who can truly guard point guards, right? And so he's not that guy. And then, honestly, at the end of the day, your elite bigs in the league, he really can't guard those guys either. Jokic's, your Embiid's, your Giannis's, guys like that, like, it's difficult. He's just undersized. He gives great effort, great positioning, can do some things with them, 
but over the course of a 48-minute game, he just can't really check those guys. So, But truly, he's a guy who can guard three positions. So he's got that plus defender attribute, and then he can shoot the three ball at a pretty high rate, especially for a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, power forward. And then with Clifford coming in, it was a player-coach marriage made in heaven. Because P.J. is that prototypical player that projects to succeed on a Steve Clifford coach team. And so taking that into consideration with the additional opportunities that would now be presented to him, this season had Leap written all over it personally. When I look at what he can do on the floor with a coach-player communication and just match made in heaven, it just made a lot of sense with the additional opportunities that we would see P.J. take a leap. His performance against the Magic can't happen. And not to repeat what has already been stated in episodes prior, P.J. needed to play better, and man, he responded. 31-7, and shooting 13 of 23 from the field. What was the difference tonight? We got attacking P.J. tonight. P.J. was attacking the Warriors. He only went one of six from three which is a strong point of his. He can shoot the three ball. He didn't shoot it well against the Magic. He didn't shoot it well against the Warriors, but the difference is he went in attack mode. He went 12 of 17 within the arc. We haven't seen this PJ, this attacking PJ, since he had his career high versus Sacramento. Now, something that probably played into his hands, the Warriors play small. They play smaller, right? The Magic were anything but small on Friday evening because they were without all of their guards and had to play extra lengthy with all of the bigs that they had on the floor. And so I'm sure that that affected P.J. being in attack mode and probably the entire team. It was so unorthodox. Friday night was so unorthodox for the Hornets, for any team in the league, thinking that you could break down and maybe turn the magic over because they wouldn't have guys who could handle the ball who weren't as comfortable making passes and things of that nature. The Hornets believed that they could exploit that, but then maybe it was so unorthodox having that much length on the floor that it just ruined everything. And so returning to a more traditional, not traditional, because like I said, the Warriors play smaller, but a more normal NBA lineup in present day, maybe that's what also helped P.J. in this performance. But it's either way, it's good to see that he recognized this and then attacked the Warriors to make them pay in this way. Things got dicey a little late. Draymond Green was applying heavy pressure on P.J. Whenever P.J. got the ball on the wing, top of the key, Draymond was up on him. And it caused P.J. to lose the ball a few times. Whether that be a turnover, the ball trickled out of bounds on the call that got reversed that should have never been reversed. I mean, there's no way you can overturn that call. Draymond came over his back, got arm, got body, got all of the things, but somehow the referees literally went to the monitor and said, hey, you know what? Let's overturn this. That's that's BS, man. But anyways, he deflected the ball. So there was pressure being applied to P.J. late in last night's game. By Draymond Green, the Hornets did a beautiful job of running P.J. off of screens to get a mismatch that was advantageous for him. Getting 
guys like Clay Thompson on PJ in the post. PJ did a great job. Took one dribble, faked in, spun, kissed it off the glass from four or five feet out. Beautiful. The Hornets did a great job. PJ was feeling it. He was having a great night offensively, taking advantage of the smaller Warriors lineup. The Hornets did a good job late in that ball game to get P.J. in some mismatches. Also not to be overlooked, the three clutch jump ball wins late in that game, those are added possessions that are needed down the stretch of close games. In close games in regulation, whether it be in overtime, those are added possessions. And so they are necessary. And one of them coming off of the somehow overturned Draymond foul, so which would have resulted in a stolen possession by the Warriors and by the officials. And so to win that ball back, it's just adding possessions. It's winning possessions back that are so necessary in crunch time. The Hornets don't lose clutch time jump balls to the Warriors. Take me back to last season. I was in the high for this one. When Terry was going up against Draymond, he won the tip. Hornets iced the game. It's over. Hornets win. And then last night as well. Hornets don't lose clutch time jump balls to the Warriors. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. DSJ, Dennis Smith Jr., big time, baby. This guy was nearly out of the league. There are reports coming out that he was contemplating going to the NFL, trying out for the NFL, going to some teams' workouts and seeing if he could make a roster. He didn't know if his basketball career was over or not. And then he lands in Charlotte. He was a game high plus 12 last night. Game high. Nearly messed around and got a triple-double, finishing with 13, 9, and 8, along with being tasked with defending Steph Curry down the stretch and putting straight the clamps on one Stephen Curry late to force overtime. Big-time drive-by and finish in overtime. Big bucket when the Hornets needed one. There was a lot of talk this summer about the Hornets bringing back Kemba or Isaiah Thomas. There just wasn't a lot of good news happening for the Hornets. And I think a lot of fans at this point, the free agents had been picked over. The writing was on the wall that a big-time trade was not going to be made in the middle, in the thick of the Miles Bridges situation and saga. It just will never end, it seems. Fans were clamoring for just good news, something that they could just attach themselves. With Kemba, obviously, greatest Charlotte Hornet in the franchise's history. Maybe not the best player to ever put on the jersey, but for the length of time that he was here, for his accomplishments, for his career totals, the stat book, the records he owns in a Charlotte Hornets jersey, greatest Charlotte Hornet to date, fans wanted something good. They wanted some good news. And so to bring Kemba back, at least it could get you in your feels, right? It could give you something. It can make you feel something for a season that looked like it was just headed down the crapper. For a season that looked like it was going to be lost, that it was going to just be a struggle to watch. To have a feel-good storyline and Kemba return, that was going to get fans excited to a degree. Bringing back Isaiah Thomas made some sense because of the impact that he had on this team, specifically LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball 
has spoken about his adoration for Isaiah Thomas, how he helped LaMelo Ball in different aspects of his career throughout the late last season. LaMelo retweeting Isaiah Thomas saying, give me back with my young killers, promoting his basketball camps and his tournaments throughout the summer. Made a lot of sense to bring back Isaiah Thomas, honestly. The Hornets made the right decision here for an organization, for a front office that has made some questionable decisions to say it nicely. They got it right this time. They got it right this time. Dennis Smith Jr., an athletic, defensive-minded guard who can distribute the ball offensively as well, who'd been cast aside, not knowing if he would have a basketball career, to bring him in was the right move. Clifford stated just before the season began that Terry Rozier would be slotted in as the backup point guard, and hopefully that DSJ could be brought up to speed at some point later in the season. Well, it's later. It's later. Right now is later. And once this roster heals up, the backup role is DSJ's and his alone. Teo Maladon has had some good minutes. He's provided some sparks. He's played really well. He's going to have some fun in Greensboro. It's going to be fun being able to watch him develop in Greensboro. Him, Mark Williams, James Booknight, Kai Kai Jones. There should be a fun team in, in Greensboro this season. But that backup role, nah, Terry's going to be able to get some rest. That is DSJ's role and his alone. He made Clifford's decision for him. Just phenomenal story. Phenomenal story. Great to see this level of play from the former top five overall pick. Just, just phenomenal. The Warriors decided to go hack a Plumley in this game. And then Steve Clifford answered with Jalen McDaniels off the bench when many probably would have preferred to see Nick Richards at this time to offer some rim protection, rebounding, and then also finishing at the rim. The, but the Warriors went small. And they would have undoubtedly put Nick Richards in the pick and roll with Stephen Draymond and attempted to take advantage right there. The Warriors still chose to go with the pick and roll with Stephen Draymond. All right. But yet the Hornets chose to give up the roll instead of the three. The Hornets showed discipline. It, you could tell that in timeouts and in the huddle, that the Hornets were focused more so about taking away their three-point shooters, the Warriors' three-point shooters, than the paint, which is usually backwards. Like You don't want to be giving up looks at the rim, which I don't believe the Hornets wanted to give up those exact looks. Like Some of those were just too easy. I mean, Draymond always looking to dish and kick to the three, and even he was taking and finishing at the rim because there was such a lack of rim protection in the paint for the Hornets. But you could tell that it was a it was a point of emphasis for the Hornets to stay attached to the shooters. And so when the Hornets went with Jalen McDaniels instead of Nick Richards, there was no rim protection. And I questioned if this was the right move because – as I just stated, Draymond was getting easy looks at the rim. 
And so having Nick Richards out there to offer that rim protection, to give you increased rebounding, I thought personally that may have been the move. I get why not at the same time, because would he have been able to move with those smaller, more agile players? Would he have been, would he have gotten caught up at the top of the key in the pick and roll with Steph? And then now you have a mismatch there. And last thing you want is Steph going to dribble town and then stepping back and just popping threes to end that game. That's the last thing you want. Even though he didn't shoot it well, it doesn't matter what kind of night Steph Curry's having from three, he can get hot at any moment. But it paid off in overtime. Jalen McDaniels hit a huge three in OT, giving the Hornets a lead that they would not surrender. McDaniels finished with 12 and 11 while going two of five from three. He's a career 37.5% three-point shooter. He's shooting 58% from three through six games this season. Now, is that going to continue? No, we will see that drop. I mean, Saturday night's performance dropped that percentage. He went two of five, so that's 40%. But even if he's hitting at that clip, if he's going two of five, he's going two of seven, three of seven, that's still good. And so is he going to come back to the means? Of course he is. But through six games, Jalen McDaniels is shooting 58% from three. Don't sleep on him, Hornets fans. Don't sleep on Jalen McDaniels' fan base. He's offering exactly what the Hornets need in these times. Solid games from the likes of Hayward, Oubre, Plumlee, and Richards. All of them contributed heavily to the Hornets bringing down the reigning champs and moving to 3-3 three and three on the season. If you have followed this team closely throughout the Borrego regime, now with Clifford, maybe even a little bit before the first stint with Clifford, if you followed this team closely, you know this team. You know the characteristics. You know the DNA. You know what they, what they do well. You know what they don't do well. There are certain attributes, certain characteristics that seem to be embedded into the DNA of this team. And I said this on the last episode. I fully, I expected the Hornets it to be in this game. It would not surprise me for the Hornets to be in this game from the jump and give the Warriors a time in the hive. Because we've seen this time and time again. Hornets fans, I'm saying these things, and you're nodding your head. You know this. I saw some of you on socials interacting with Hornets lead account, interacting with Hive Hoops account, just scrolling on the timeline. You guys knew. You guys were making these these statements before the game ever began. You know, got beat down by the Magic. We're going to come home. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me if we beat the Warriors. Wouldn't surprise me if we hang with them all night and make this thing interesting. And sure enough, that's exactly what we got. We ride with this team every year for 82 games. Through the highs and lows of a season. Down key players, and this team's going to be it's going to be a tough out. This team plays hard. When we are missing some of our key players, the Charlotte Hornets show up. You can look back to last season during uh, the COVID outbreak that the Hornets had. 
They played tough. They played extremely tough. It has become a characteristic of this team. Playing a top-tier team at home, the Charlotte Hornets are going to get up for that. They are going to get up for a top-tier team coming to the Spectrum Center. Playing a depleted Orlando or Sacramento on a Tuesday night, forget about it. Go find something else to do. They are going to let you down. They're going to rip your heart out. It is going to be a game when you could, when you go in and you're like, yes, just just beat the Hawks. At, and they were at full strength. We are down a, a, a few guys, but we went in, beat the Hawks, took care of business. Okay, yeah, beat the Warriors. Let's go. Reigning champs. That don't mean nothing to us. But then you play a side, a Houston Rockets team, missing three or four of their best players, an Orlando Magic team, down five rotation players, going to Sacramento in the in the midweek. Nah, you can forget about those guys. It's not happening. <laughs> and so I was thinking about all of these, these characteristics that have become like just something that's expected at this point. And there's a part of me that believes this team is different than the ones from previous seasons. But then there's also a part of me that says, man, even though it's only been a small sample size and it's only been six games, I'm seeing some of the, the same things that have plagued the Hornets in prior years as well. Because it, it just feels like we're constantly riding a wave with this team. Like we're, we're riding these highs, we're, we're riding these lows. Like wherever it takes us, we're going to go with them. Find me a more dedicated fan base than the Charlotte Hornets that has dealt with the pain throughout the years of mediocrity, the worst record in NBA history, missing out on Anthony Davis, the team moving to New Orleans, moving to a smaller market in New Orleans. Not like they got up and left and moved the team to a premier market, but uprooted our Hornets to take them to New Orleans. So much pain throughout the years. Find me a stronger, more dedicated fan base that is stuck with this team throughout the years. I don't think you can find one. You may find a bigger following. You may find a fan base that seems more dedicated just by sheer numbers. But the ones who have been the ride or dies since the beginning and have followed this thing throughout the decades of Hornets basketball slash Bobcats, I don't think you can find a more dedicated fan base. But it had me thinking about what are some of the things that are the same, but then what are some of the things that are different? Because I do believe that we're seeing some, some things that are different this season. I do. And so that has me excited because the same old, same old, that wears on you. That wears on you through an 82-game season. I mean, just take it back to last year. Beating the Bucks in back-to-back -back games and then beating the 76ers in the same week. Those are three massive wins. And then took on the Orlando Magic down 
multiple of their best players and lost last season. And it just brings you crashing down. It's just a bitter reality of Hornets basketball. And then we we feel that same thing this week where you beat the Hawks, you hang with the Knicks, you take them to overtime, you have a really good chance to win, you lose another overtime game, though. Reminds you of previous seasons. Then you take on an Orlando team, down multiple players. Should win. Get obliterated. Score only 30 points in the first half. And it has you thinking back, is this the same team? Maybe. I hope not. But I I have a few things that I want to point out here. What does feel the same? It's the erratic performances from a, a night-to-night basis. Going into State Farm Arena and playing well and beating a healthy Atlanta Hawks team with Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, John Collins, Clint Capella, a good basketball team. I think the Hawks are 4-2, and 5-2 and two right now. But then to follow that up by losing to the Orlando Magic. Dear erratic performances from players, P.J. Washington against the Orlando Magic. Five points, one rebound. But then he responds tonight with 31-7. and seven. The same, getting up for big games. The Hornets get up for big games. Just at how last season. Beat the Bucks twice and the 76ers in the same week. This season, beat the Hawks and the Warriors. Those are two teams that are, I, I think, many and most would project as top 10, 12 teams. Warriors for sure. The Hawks in that 10 to 12 range, league-wide. They get up for big games, but then get absolutely schmoozed by bottom feeders. Lost to the Magic last year. Lost to the Rockets. Lost to the Wizards. Losing some games that you just can't afford to lose to the Kings last season. Got obliterated by the Kings in Sacramento by 30. It was 140 to 111 or something like that. Got absolutely demolished. And then this season, got absolutely demolished by the Orlando Magic when they were missing five of their rotation players. Those are some of the things where you're just like, well, one of my guys in a, a Slack message that I'm in, he said, man, Hornets are like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're going to get. And it's so true. The famous Forrest Gump line, except you replace life with Hornets. And it's so true. You just don't know what you're going to get on a nightly basis. But then there's a part of me that does feel these differences. Attention defensively. The Hornets took the Warriors to overtime, one of the most high-powered offenses in the league. Held them to 113 with an additional overtime period added in. That's good. And we've seen this in prior games as well. Just going back to what... I said previously in this episode, the Hornets staying disciplined and attached to Golden State shooters. You could see the game plan. Maybe it wasn't executed perfectly, and it couldn't be because of who the personnel on the floor was. But you could see the game plan being played out in prior games. 
not overhelping on the wings. This was something that we saw in previous seasons under James Borrego and his version of the Hornets. There was constant overhelp just from one pass away. And so it was easy for the defense to just they wouldn't even beat their guy, whether that be Terry Rozier, LaMelo Ball, Kelly Oubre, Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington, whoever it was. And help would be just squeezing too early and too much and just a simple kick to the wing, and there was a wide-open shot. But this season, we're not seeing that. We're seeing a more disciplined effort defensively. The Hornets won an overtime game. That's different. We haven't seen that in all of last season. And then the prior season, the Hornets lost three of four overtime games in the abbreviated 72-game season. Exercise those demons. One on the second night of a back-to-back as well. This was something the Hornets were atrocious at last season. And not only were they bad, they wouldn't show up. It wouldn't even be a fight most nights. On the second night of a back-to-back, it was well-reported and well-known that the Hornets were one of the younger teams in the NBA, and that was used as an excuse way too often last season. And it didn't need to be because, for one, yes, they were young. And so winning those close games, winning those overtime games, showing up against inferior opponents – and taking them seriously, those are things, yes, you may can use that excuse. The team doesn't know how to win yet. I can buy into that message. But on the second night of back-to-backs, looking gassed or being tired or no, no, you can't use that same excuse both ways. You just can't. And so winning on the second night of a back-to-back, not only on the second night of a back-to-back, but against the Golden State Warriors, a good team. Now, part of that may be getting up for good teams, being in the hive, great crowd, rocking arena, maybe. Maybe that's more so of what it was. But this did not take place last season. So winning on the second night of a back-to-back, is different, has me excited. A possible NBA-level center rotation. This is another aspect that feels different. Now, I said possible because Nick Richards still has areas that he needs to grow in. Mason Plumley, as well. Just still, he makes you nervous. He Mason Plumley makes you nervous. And so... Having a better center rotation this season than last season, a bigger, longer, lengthier NBA uh, center rotation, it feels good, and it feels different. Lastly, a defensive-minded guard. Dennis Smith Jr. is playing some defense, guys, and we have not had a defensive-minded guard in Charlotte in some time. Now, not trying to take away from what Terry – Rogier and what LaMelo Ball do well, but to have a defensive-minded guard in DSJ, it feels different. 
because that offers you point of attack defense at the top of the key. We know that PJ can defend. We know Nick Richards is offering some rim protection. We're about to get Cody Martin back once he's healthy. We have an instinctive defensive player in LaMelo Ball. Terry Rozier has length. Gordon Hayward gives you what he gives you. (laughs) Mason Plumlee can defend pretty well in trapping the ball in the high pick and roll and then rotating to get back. He offers you no rim protection of any sort, but he does do a good job of trapping the ball at the high uh, pick and roll. Jalen McDaniels, lengthy. Guys, this team can be pretty good defensively. They can, and we're seeing that. Huge win. Much needed. Hornets are 3-3. Three and three. If you had told me, and if I had asked many of you at the beginning of the season, hey, LaMelo's going to miss the first six games of the season. So is Cody Martin. Terry Rozier's going to miss four and a little extra. He was a little gimpy at the end of that uh, that Pelicans game. But they're, but the Hornets are going to be 3-3 three and three at the end of those six games. Every one of us would have taken it. So even with the Orlando beatdown and the loss to the Knicks in overtime, taking all of that into account at the end of the day when you just put it all in a ball and you shake it up, the Hornets are coming out of it 3-3. Three and three. Can't be too upset about that. You just can't. Thanks for listening again, guys. I appreciate your listens. Your support. We'll see you back next time. Adios. Thanks for listening to Hive Hoops, presented by the lead. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to leave a review and let us know what you thought of the episode. Thanks again from Hive Hoops.